by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. All right, all right. We're about to get into a new series entitled Living Out Your Faith in a Hostile World. And I think we, most of us can agree that the world is growing darker, growing more hostile towards the believers. Uh, so how do we live it out? How do we live out this faith that we have in our Creator, in our, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And some of us are thinking, well, I don't know how we're going to do it because it's just getting bad out there, you know. But the truth is, it, it was bad out there in every generation. This is nothing new. I mean, we look at these challenges and we say, nobody's ever had to face this. You know, Maybe nobody's ever ch- had to face the exact things that we're facing. But, you know, it wasn't so long ago they were facing the Vietnam War, World War II, World War I. Before that, they were poking each other with swords and stuff. Come on now. You know, dog eat dog, survival of the fittest. I mean, it's always been a spooky place. We've always been in this valley of the shadow of death. This, this ride that we live here, you know, we ain't reached the mountaintop. This ain't heaven if you hadn't noticed. So how do we live it out? How do we proclaim like they bravely did today that I believe in Jesus? How do we stand for the word of God in such a hostile generation? There was a farmer, he was walking to his barn one day, and he heard his mule brand, but it sounded far off, and he was looking around, he couldn't see his old mule anywhere, and as he drew near to the well, he heard it coming from the well, that somehow the mule had fell down in that dry well, and was at the bottom of the well, just a bray, and oh, help me probably, you know, and so the farmer thought to himself, you know, I don't have anybody to help me pull him out, I'm not climbing down in there and tying a rope around him. I don't know what to do. The mule's old. The well's dried up. I guess I'll just put him out of his misery. So he went and got a shovel. He started throwing dirt down in the well. He figured he'd just cover him up and fill up the well at the same time. Well, the mule kept on braying, and the the dirt fell on the mule's back. And you can imagine what the mule's thinking about this time. (laughs) They don't want me. This is hard down here. What's going to happen? But you know what the mule did? He shook it off. And then he stepped up. He'd throw another shovel full down on the mule's back. Guess what happened? He'd shake it off. And he'd step on up. Day after day, that farmer kept trying to cover that mule up. But he didn't realize he was just building him a platform for that mule to one day walk on out of that well. Come on. And that's how you're going to live successful in this world. When, the, when you feel like you're in the hole and, and you don't see a way out, you feel like the whole world's dumping on you, what are you going to do? Shake it off. 
Step on up. One day at a time. One shovel full at a time, so to speak. We cannot let this world discourage us and get us off our course. Well, like I said, none of these temptations are new. And I thought we'd look at the life of David for a moment and see what he learned and how he overcame because he had some major challenges in his life. You remember he was anointed to be king when he was like 12 years old? And so, you know, if you're anointed to be king, you think, well, you know, this time next week I'll have a crown on my head. But it wasn't the case, was it? He was actually, I think, 30 years old before he actually became king. So what happened in between that time? A lot. Thank you. <laughs> That's exactly right. Sometimes we're forced to be patient. Sometimes we're forced to allow God's preparation in our life. Because if we don't allow God to prepare us for the height that he wants to get us to, then we won't have the character to stay there once we get there. So you may be in that spot in your life right now. You, you like, I know God told me that I was going to do this. I know God said that I was going to do these great things, and it just seems like I'm in the bottom of this well, getting dirt heaped on me. Well, just have a little patience and, and let God prepare you. David had to slay his Goliaths. And you do too. And by the time David faced big old Goliath, you know what he had learned? To trust in the Lord. Amen. He didn't say, I come to you in my name, and I'm going to cut your head off, Goliath. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies. He knew in whom he believed. He knew in whom he trusted. And we've got to get to that place in our life if we're going to overcome in this day and age that we're not trusting in our own ability. We're trusting in, the, in God in us. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, is how we're going to overcome and slay the Goliaths and become the kings and priests unto God that we're called to be. It doesn't happen overnight. This is a, a process. It's called sanctification. It's where we're learning to shake it off. Shake out all the old stuff that's not of God and put in the new where we learn to stay in the grave. Uh, put the old man in, and keep him in the grave, and we come out and live this new life, this real life. So don't think God has forgotten about you. He's growing your faith. Say faith. faith. That is the title of today's message. New series, Living Out Your Faith in a Hostile World, Part 1, Faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. And it's impossible to live out successful Christian life without it. Well, we see not long after that, David was forced out into the wilderness by King Saul, who was king at the time. What had he done to Saul? Nothing. Tried to help him. Was a great general in his army. Did everything that he was supposed to do. But Saul, in his jealousy of David, tried to kill him and chasing him around out in the wilderness. <laughs> it's not fair, is it? 
There's a lot of things about your Christianity that's not fair. That we're held to a higher standard. We're just humans too, right? We, we live in a glass house. People aha, you're a Christian and you did this, you know. Well, I'm just a human too, you know. It's not fair. A lot of things are not fair. But God never said this earth would be fair. We really have to become bigger on the inside. Faith, what does it do? It doesn't look at the current situations, but it looks at the situation to come. While it doesn't look at the things that can be seen, it looks at the things which cannot be seen, which are eternal in the heavens. We're looking, we're looking to a new heaven and a new earth. We're looking to a, a, a time where it will be just and fair. But right now, we know we're just still in the well. And so do we, what do we do? Shake it off. Somebody say, shake it off. Look at your neighbor and say, shake it off, man. You're going through something right now. It may not feel like dirt on your shoulder. It may feel like something else. Look at your neighbor and say, shake it off. You're carrying, it's a lot of weight on you. If you, if that, if you let that stuff build up in you, on you, it's going to bring you to your knees. And the next thing you know, you're going to be struggling to get your head above the water or head above the dirt. If you don't continually shake it off, you're going to get covered up. Thank goodness I know somebody will get down in the well with you. You get over in the fire with you. So if you find yourself a little covered up today, call on the name of Jesus. Call on the name of Jesus. Don't forget from whence your help does come. Mm. <laughs> if you aren't willing to suffer injustice for Christ's sake, then you aren't prepared for what the future holds because it's coming. There's a story about David. He's got his band of mighty men. This is before he's king, and he's being chased through the wilderness, so they're having to move constantly in the wilderness. And he set up camp in this one area, you know. But his men are just and fair, and, and the farmers in the, in the region, they take care of them because, like I said, it's a survival of the fittest back in those days. You know, some people come in and take what you got and kill you, you know. They, if they were stronger than you, they would do it. So David's men are kind of protecting the community. And it was an area where this man named Nabal lived. Now, Nabal, he was rich, and, and uh, he owned most of the land in that area. And so it was mostly his farmers out there that David were protecting and his men. And so come about sheep shearing time, David sent a message to Nabal, says, you know, you don't really know me, but I'm David. Maybe you've heard of me, and I'm sure he had. And he said, I hear it's sheep shearing time, and I was wondering if you could share, you know, a little of the proceeds with with my men you know so that we have something to live on you know some food you know give us a little something because we've been very kind to your men we've made sure that they haven't been raided or and they've been looked after seemed like a reason and david if you read the letter it's very humble that he he wrote and but this nabal guy he was a fool he was so full of himself so bitter and angry and he raged and said, who is this David? I don't know no David. David doesn't mean nothing to me. You tell this David to, 
he better get on out of here, basically. He ain't getting nothing from me. I don't owe him anything. And so the messenger went back and told David. And I mean, he ain't no sooner heard that, he was putting on his sword. And he said, guys, get your swords. <laughs> We're fixing to wipe this fella out. I ain't putting up with this. Now, David was a man's man, let's be honest. And so he was on the way with his 300 men, and they were, he said, I swear that on my life that this man ain't going to be living in the morning and none of his men. But Nabal had a wife named Abigail. And she was very beautiful and she was level-headed. She, she seemed like a, a good woman. And when she came home and heard what Nabal had said to David, she said, uh-oh. She knew what was coming. She had enough common sense. Nabal's over there drunk, you know. She says, make some raisin cakes. Get some bread. Fill the donkeys. And, and they, they piled on all these donkeys with just cakes and raisins and stuff, nice stuff and wine. And they brought it out. And she met David on the road. And she fell to her knees and said, oh, Lord, please forgive my master. Please forgive my husband. He's a fool. He should have never talked to you like this. I know you don't deserve this. You have, you have done nothing but been good to us. Please, please forgive him. And David was still like, you know, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going to get this sucker. <laughs> but then she's, she touched his heart. She says, because we know that you're going to be king soon. And when you're king, you don't want this on your conscience, that you took vengeance on somebody. That's not your character, David. We know that's not your character. And David softened. He looked at her and he said, you know, if you wouldn't have showed up today, I, I promise you that dude wouldn't have lived through the seat to, to tomorrow. And so she stopped David from living out his emotions. And see, that's one of the things that we can't do as Christians is just live out of our raw human emotions. We can't just take vengeance anytime somebody does something. We can't just return evil for evil. We're called to a higher standard. Is it fair? It's hard. But it don't need to be fair because that's we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us to help us overcome that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And so we learn to walk out in love and overlook offenses. We cannot become offended. Are you listening to me? Some of us right now have so much dirt on our shoulders of offense. We're offended at the Democrats. We're offended at the Republicans. We're offended at somebody. We're offended at somebody. I'm not even going to name any more names. And it's dirt on your shoulders. It's a weight. And the Bible says we've got to get rid of those weights and sins that so easily beset us and trip us up and keep us from running our race. We cannot... Return evil for evil. We cannot act like the world. We have to come out and be different. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Well, then David becomes king. And he's king for a while and everything's going good. And he's worshiping the Lord. And he's a good Christian boy, so to speak, before Jesus had ever come. He's in the Old Testament. You know, he was a godly, godly man. And then one day, he's supposed to be off to war, but he's... Sitting on the roof of his house, 
lounging around, and most of you know that if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and you've got too much time on your hands, you'll, your, this sin nature will sometimes weigh you down and, and get you to do things that you wouldn't have otherwise did if you'd have been where you were supposed to be. All right? So he sees Bathsheba taking a bath on another rooftop. She's beautiful. He's a male. He's human. I don't know why you're laughing. Christian men are still men. He calls for Bathsheba. That was the first mistake. He should have covered. It says run from sexual sin. The Bible says that's how you deal with it. You don't stop and consider it. You run from it. But he didn't. He said, bring her here and we'll just see what happens. <laughs> well, we know what happened. He ended up committing adultery with another man's wife. He was married himself because he had already married Abigail. Well, in order to keep it from her husband, he ends up having to kill her husband. So he's not just an adulterer. He's a murderer. You're saying this, that, that this is in the Bible? This David that I've heard about so many times, this David that's a man after God's own heart, he's a murderer? No, he's not. He's a mass murderer because he got the whole troop that was with him, the whole wing of people that went with him, he sent them to the front lines. They all got killed to cover up this lie. So David thinks, okay, well, everything's going good, you know. I'll just act like that didn't happen. And so he tries to cover it up for a while. But then the priest Samuel comes and says, David, let me talk to you, buddy. He tells this story and about stealing some other man's lamb or something, and you have to read it for yourself. And, and David's mad during this story. He's like, get that guy that, that stole that lamb. He says, you are the man. You stole another man's wife. And he told David the truth. You know how hard it is to tell the king the truth? You do so at the risk of your own life. But Samuel was a man of God and he told him. And what did David do? He repented. And we see several things in that story. That David was a big enough man to repent and run to God. That's why he was called a man after God's own heart, not because he was a perfect man, because he was a man would, who would repent when he, when he sinned. He kept running to God. He never ran away from God. So many of us, so many people, this church would be full seven times over if everybody that, that was running from God would come back to God right all at one time. You know why? Because they sin and then they feel like, Oh, God, don't want me no more. I don't want God to know. Like they're hiding it from the creator of all the universe. But anyway, that's another story for another day. <laughs> but we also see that your position or your title in this world does not exempt you from temptation or sin. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a president, whether you're a king, we're all... You, you don't get to a place where I have arrived. You know, I've been so close to Jesus, I'll never sin again. Some of us feel like that at times, right? We 
service and we're just loving God. I'm so close to you, Jesus, me and you forever and ever. And I'm, this is easy living this life. But we know that, you know, weeks go by and human emotions can be a roller coaster and, and temptations will arise. Therefore, if we're going to get through without all this dirt on our shoulders, what do we got to do? We got to make firm decisions on the front end about who I am and what I will allow and what I'm going to do in certain circumstances. Man, I'm telling you, that was one of the biggest lessons I learned as a Christian is I'll go ahead and make my mind up right now. As for me and my house, we're not doing this, we're not doing that. I'm not going to wait and see if, if I like it a little bit, but whether I do it or not. I'm just going to make a firm decision, not doing it. That's not me anymore for the rest of my life. Not that that's not going to be challenged in times of temptation. But if you've already made up your mind... It helps so much. So, and it's also good that David had some, some accountability, someone who would hold him accountable. So if you don't have somebody that you tell your issues to, and then you probably need to uh, find somebody to help disciple you. We all need discipling. We all need somebody that's speaking into our lives, and we all need to be speaking into someone else's lives because that's what we do. We're here to develop Jesus' heart in you. We each come and learn that we may go and teach, making disciples who would take up their cross and follow the Lord. That's who we are, disciple-making factory here at the Passion Church. That's why life groups and the things that we offer are so important, that you make friends, godly friends, that will hold you accountable in those situations. What would have happened? Would David be a man after God's own heart if Samuel had not confronted him and he thought he, he, he went a different direction and started thinking, I'm going to cover up all my sins. I'm king. I can do what I want to. We, we need help from one another. Iron sharpens iron. Well, many other lessons David learned, but through it all, what he... What we see in his life is that he kept his eyes on God. And he kept his heart to build God a temple. And that's it in a nutshell, how we live in this world. Successful in a hostile world. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We just keep looking to Jesus. And we keep... In our heart, wanting to build his kingdom. We keep busy about his purposes. We stay so narrowly focused on who I am in Christ that the world can't penetrate that armor. We keep on the whole armor found in Ephesians chapter 6. The whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. And I could go on about the different pieces of armor that God gives us to stand, the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the shoes of purpose and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for other people, for all saints. You see, you stay so busy about the things of God, you stay, keep your loins girded up, you keep the armor on, then you won't be lounging around on the rooftop. If the donkey gets too lazy, he gets too dirty. You got to keep shaking it off. We can't trust in this world system. That was something else I had to learn as a baby Christian. 
I still thought, well, you know, the, the politicians are going to save us. <laughs> We're waiting on that to happen. <clears throat> but you can't trust in this world's system. Because this world system is controlled by Satan. The Bible calls him the little g, God of this world. 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are children of God. We know that. And that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And the evil one wants to drag us to hell with him. Why? Because he can't get to God, but he can get to God through his children. And if he can hurt us, then he can hurt God's heart. The devil has come to destroy the family structure. If you look at the ills that's going on in society today, they all go back to the family structure. Man and a woman and their children, raising their children together. And that is broken down and there's no dads in the home anymore. The devil has sought to water down the word of God and whisper in everyone's ear, did God really say? I mean, come on. I mean, it's just a little weed. The Bible doesn't say you shouldn't. He seeks to dilute and to compromise. Just get over on my territory a little bit. Get up on the fence. Just sit on the fence with me for a minute. Let me, let's talk together, the devil says. He's here to divide and conquer. The way you conquer a great nation or a great people is you divide them against one another. Do you know that social media has figured out which side you lean on politically and is shooting Hate, hateful stuff uh, so that you will hate the other side? If you lean Democrat, they're saying, them Republicans are horrible. And the same people that are sending that are sending to the Republicans, them Democrats are horrible. Brainwashing. Thank you, zombie makers in our pockets. We're like lemons being led to slaughter. I think that's two or three different messages. Uh, sayings there or something, but... So he's here to divide and conquer. And you know another thing he does? He distracts and delays. If he can get you just distracted from your calling in life. Just doing all the other stuff. And to get you to delay where you're supposed to be in your journey. It's called procrastination. You know, the devil, he doesn't care if you got all these great intentions in your heart. He doesn't care if you love Jesus. He's probably fine with that because he can't wait to see you brought down. He hates you. And he's okay with you wanting to do great things as long as you don't get to it. As long as this just stays in your mind. Procrastination. If you can, he can just get you to put it off till tomorrow because he knows tomorrow never comes. Well, one day I'm going to serve the Lord. One day I'm going to, you know, 
I know this sin is between me and God, and I can't seem to get past it. I'll quit that one day. Or I know God is calling me to this and calling me to take this next step, but I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Six years later, I'll get to it. I'm going to. One day, one day, before you know it, you're on your deathbed and say, man, I wish I'd have got to it. This life is but a breath. It's just a moment. We got to get to it, folks. Shake it off and step up. Jesus said of these end times in Matthew 24, 12, that sin will be rampant everywhere, that the love of many will grow cold. We can't let our love grow cold. I mean, that's our strength. That's who we are as Christians. We can't let the media, anybody divide us, anybody embitter us towards anybody. We've got to just decide in our heart, I love everybody. But in the end, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. Apostle Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, he said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. You think it's bad now, it's getting worse. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious. Mm. They might even go to church. They go to church while they're disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They go to church while they love their money and themselves. They go to church while they scoff God all during the week. While they have no self-control and reckless and puffed up with pride and betray their friends. They love pleasure. They, they stay out all Saturday night and come to church on Sunday morning and act religious. But they will reject the power that could make them godly. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. You stiff-necked rebellious people, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit is the one who is able to help you overcome this world. He is the power of the resurrection in your heart. It says stay away from people like that because they'll bring you down with them. I saw this saying recently, and it's good. It says, I don't know who wrote it, but it says, First we overlook evil. Then we permit evil. Then we legalize evil. Then we promote evil. Then we celebrate evil. Then we persecute those who call it evil. Now I think we've made this whole circle now in America. We're being persecuted for even saying something is evil when it clearly is evil. But they have strong delusion. For Isaiah says in five, chapter 5, verse 20, what sorrow for those who say evil is good and good is evil. 
That dark is light and light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. I mean, is anybody else out there like me? It's like, I don't even know where to begin the argument with, with some people today. They don't even begin from a, a platform of reality. It's like, do I really need to say this? But they will argue that good is evil and evil is good. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Therefore come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. Don't be like them. Don't say, well, you got your opinion and I got mine. Well, you know, whatever works for you, brother. Wherever we put our focus is where we will go. I remember one time Angie was driving when we were young, first dating, and, and she, I usually didn't let her drive too much at first because she had a lot of wrecks. <laughs> and we were coming back from Florida on vacation or something, and she, we had bought some Taco Bell, and she dropped her taco, and when, and when she went over to the right to pick it up, the car went over to the right. Oh! <laughs> I mean, whichever direction she looked is the direction she would drive. And I'm glad she's not here right now. <laughs> Perfect timing. Thank you, Josh. Did you send her off? <laughs> Have you ever looked through the scope of a rifle? And you, you look in and you say, but yeah, I want to shoot over there. No, wherever your focus is, that's where you're going. Wherever... Wherever your focus is in this world, that's where you're going. That's the direction you're going. I often say, if you want to go to Nashville, then stop heading north. Stop looking in the wrong direction. Get off the wrong bus. We're called to be salt and light in this generation. We're called to spice things up a little bit. To shine a light in the darkness. If we don't stand up for the things of God, who's going to do it? We're just going to sit back and watch the world destroy itself? Do we have not an obligation? Did Noah not tell the people to get on the ark? They might have not got on the ark, but at least Noah had clean hands at the end of the day. We're called to come together as a city on a hill. So if you want to get through this life and have any kind of rewards on judgment day, you got to let your light shine. And then if you let your light shine, you need to come to church and let it shine with others so we'll be like a city on a hill. And the, and the lost people will say, let's go there, at least it ain't dark. And then they will get illumination and they will know what is the hope of their calling. God will begin to illuminate Things for them, we've got to shine bright if we're going to be successful in this life. The, the donkey, he was, I guess, looking toward the light, trying to get out, right? He didn't just want to stay in the darkness with the world. We've got to live lives with purpose and live lives on purpose. Live lives of conviction, faithful and faithfully. 
Those, those are the terms that describe a successful life. Shake it off and step up. It's time for us to go higher than we've ever been before. You were called for such a time as this. Did you know that? It's not an accident that you're here during these dark hours in American history. You're here on purpose with purpose. 1 John 5, 4 says, For every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. Isn't that the title of today's message? Faith. Because let me tell you another secret. What you believe is what you become. We've talked about what you can see, you can be. But faith is just that, what you see in your heart. What you believe is what you become. What do you say about your own self? What are you claiming for your life? Well, my depression. Oh, woe is me, gloom, despair. Agony on me. Dialectic, dialectic. Deck, deck, deck. <laughs> Everything out of your mouth, you know. Some of, some of these young people are saying, what is he saying? <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. If you have real faith, your actions will follow what you believe. Clearly, the church today is full of people who don't really believe. Not this church, but some churches. The church overall doesn't believe what they profess to believe. We say amen to everything the preacher says. We act religious. But if you really had a relationship with Jesus, your life will be a lot different than it is. If you really believed that he's up there preparing a place for you where you can be also, you'd be more excited about it than you are. You'd be more willing to shake it off. You'd set your sights on heaven, not on the things of earth below. If we, if we really believe that the Holy Spirit is the power of resurrection in our life, that you may lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. You shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in your heart, but believe those things which you prayeth shall come to pass. Therefore you shall have whatsoever you saith. You'd be saying something new. What did Jesus go around, you faithless generation? How long shall I put up with you? I mean, it's good that we say we believe. But it's time we start really believing. Because your real faith is what you're acting out. What you're doing in your life. That reveals what you really believe. You can come to church and say amen all Sunday. But if you go right back into, to, at the water cooler on Monday, downgrading everybody, talking, gossiping, and doing everything the rest of the world does, that shows what you really believe. Good intentions without corresponding actions only produces regret. I didn't say nothing. 
I regret that. Where was I at? Good intentions without corresponding actions only produces regret. You don't want to wake up on your deathbed, you know, when you're about to go meet Jesus and say, man, I really regret that I didn't live out my faith. I didn't spend more time with my loved ones. I didn't love people. I wrote this down. I know this is pretty, this is pretty tight sermon here. I might be stepping on somebody's toes today. But you know what? That's how you grow. I imagine somebody might have stepped on that donkey's toes and got him to stepping and shaking it off. Do you have the faith to make your everyday decisions based on a biblical worldview? That means if God said it, that settles it. This is what I believe. I'm not compromising because the poll says this. The majority of Americans say that. This is what I believe. And not only is it what I believe, but it's what I base my decision-making decision on. I actually live according to the Word of God. So let me, I wrote this down because I don't want to get this wrong. Do you have the faith to make your everyday decisions based on a biblical worldview? or on a compromised cowardice afraid to be canceled? Are you afraid that the world's going to cancel you? What have you lost if they do? You've just gained credibility, really, in my decision. Okay, if the church is afraid to say definitively that God made two genders, male and female, and that God intended marriage to be between a man and a woman, and that it is wrong to kill babies in the womb, then it's no wonder that we've lost all relevancy and the moral high ground in our nation. And if we can't speak these truths in love, I'm not saying go out there and blast people. I'm saying love people enough to speak the truth so that they might be healed, so that they might be forgiven. I'm not saying take sides and hammer folks. It's one thing to believe, but it's another thing to believe and then act in love. And if we can't speak the truth in love, then we even further alienate the loss for which Jesus calls us to find. We have to make differentiation between the sin and the sinner. We hate the sin because it's what it's doing to the sinner. But we do not hate the sinner. And because of the love of God, I must speak the truth that the sinner might be saved. And I must love them in their fallen state just as people came and prayed for me and loved me in my fallen state. And I can't say your sin is any worse than what my sin was. Faith worketh by love. Galatians 5, 6. We need truth faith if we're to act with courage and conviction. You know what I'm doing. I'm, it's not me. But the Lord, He's calling you higher. He's calling you to come out of the well. He's calling you to act with courage and conviction. 
and love. James 2.17 says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. If you don't have the faith to act on what you say you believe, it's dead faith. And guess what? Dead faith never saved anybody. Jesus came down the mountain from praying and his disciples had been unable to heal a, a young boy demon-possessed. And the father came up and said, I, I, I got your disciples to pray, but they couldn't believe. And, of course, what Jesus said, oh, you, this generation, how long shall I be with you? Where, where's your faith? You know, where's your faith? Why? Jesus was a little frustrated. I imagine he still is. And the man says, will you heal my boy if you can? And Jesus said, if I can. He said, and the man was honest. He said, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And you know what? God can work with that. God can work with somebody who's honest. God can, if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, you're stirring me up, but to be honest, I have doubts. To be honest, I don't, I don't know what I believe. I'm still struggling. I want to believe, but I, I, can't make my, I can't seem to make myself take that step. I'm scared. I'm, I'm scared that if I take a step and I don't know where I'm going, God's not going to catch me. God knows your heart. He knows where you're at. My suggestion would be to be honest. Come to Him with sincerity of heart and say, this is where I am. God, help my unbelief. Because you know what? He, he's the one that helps us with everything else. Why wouldn't He help, you, help us with our faith? He's not afraid of your questions or your concerns, your doubts. But you just won't bring them to him to let him to do anything with them. Once again, we're running from God. We don't want him to know what we really think. He's big enough to handle it. He already knows. Can you be big enough to be honest with God? And say, help my unbelief. And give him something to work with. 1 John 5, 5 says, who can win this battle against the world? Who can win it? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Say faith. faith. You know, he's given us the victory, and our job is just to enforce the victory. And all we got to do is believe it and act on what he says to act on. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. You know, I died to this old way of life, this old way of thinking. I'm no longer a part of this world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if you say, well, I, I got my doubts. Well, if you'll get them out of the way, you'll have more room for more Christ in you. But Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in this flesh. I live by faith. Say faith. 
faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you have doubts, you have but to look to the cross and see God himself hanging between heaven and earth for you and remember that he loves you and gave himself for you. And your, your, your courage and your strength and the, your, your tribulations and everything that you're willing to give on behalf of Christ is all worth it. Because he already gave everything for you. And you're just giving back to him what he gave to you. And if you love the world so much, what have they done for you? A proper perspective. Ah. No longer I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. Maybe that's a personal confession we can get a hold of. Maybe I'll go around saying that. Maybe I'll give room for Christ to live in me. By faith. And then I'll, I'll live a life simply doing every, everything as if unto the Lord. Right? That's another scripture. You know, when I hug my grandchildren, I'll do it. For the glory of God, when I wash dishes, or when Angie washes dishes, she'll do it for the glory of God. Right. Angie said, I was about to say. <laughs> it's time to close, right? All right. I'm going to close, with, I'm going to read you this scripture, and we'll close. Okay, so, what did David learn in his life of faith? I'm glad you asked. Psalms 27, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. This one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. Singing and praising the Lord with music. It seems like the house of God was an important place to be to David. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God, of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Don't let me fall into their hands. 
For they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident that I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. <laughs> Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. And yet, yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Those are the things the Lord would like you to learn about His character and have learned about this journey of life that you're on, how to overcome in a hostile world, how to shake it off and step up and keep doing it until you fight, climb your way up that ladder to heaven. We thank you, Jesus. Just begin to thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your character, for your, who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your salvation. We thank you for your power working in us to make us the, the people that you called us and want us to be. We thank you for the peace that passes all understanding that keeps our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the joy unspeakable and that we're full of your glory and that we're shining out as lights for the world to see. We thank you that you've given us this love shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost to share with others. We thank you for this purpose, this direction that you're ever whispering gently in our hearts, turn this way, turn that way, no, don't go there. If we would only spend quiet time with you, Lord, if we would only come to you and speak with you, that we would only find ourselves in you. If we would only find our comfort under your wings, our shelter in your house. We love you, Jesus. Lord, help our unbelief. You're calling us higher. Oh, call us even higher. Move us forward in this faith journey, Father. Oh, we can see green pastures ahead and still waters. Anoint our heads with oil until our cups run over. Let us live in the house of the Lord. Let us see good days. Let us taste and see that you are good and your mercy endures forever. Let us never walk in condemnation and guilt when your forgiveness flows like a river. We love you, Jesus. We honor you here today. We praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been holding back for whatever reason. Maybe you don't. You say, I don't know Jesus. I, I'm just hearing about him and I haven't made up my mind. Say, God, reveal yourself to me. He will. He's just waiting on you to exercise that free will that he gave you to decide for him. To at least give him a say. To give him space. And if you're ready to make that decision today, hop up here real quick and let me pray with you. And you can, by faith, receive your salvation today and know that you have eternal life. This life is in Jesus only. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you want to leave here today knowing that your sins are forgiven. You've been brought nigh by the blood of Jesus, forgiven of your sins, walking in a new, fresh life. Come on down.
If you're here today and you say, man, I'm backslidden. I, I used to believe all that and I, I got away. I got confused. The world started heaping dirt on me. I feel covered up and I need to uncover. Then there's this altar where you drop it off. And Jesus will forgive and Jesus will forget. And Jesus will wash you clean. You have only to, to repent. That means turn from it and turn to Him. These altars are always open. If you want to come here after the service, that's fine. If you need healing in your body, I've been praying all week that there's healing in these hands, that I am the hands and feet of Jesus. I will anoint you with oil right now. And we'll believe God together that the prayer of faith shall save the sick according to James chapter 5, verse 14. If everybody is, is right with the world, then I just pray that this message has encouraged you and strengthened you in what you believe. I pray that God would set you in your right mind and that His love would overflow in your heart. And this would be a new day for all of us, for Passion Church, for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.